So the Bible we're reading for today is comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 7 to 18. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labours of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be regularly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Well, we're not going to be having a show this year. Uh, a lot of things that we can't do this year. Uh, but over the years, I've put in lots of entries in, in several different shows in all sorts of different fields. Uh, I've entered stuff for, for leather work and I've put in fleeces of wool and I've put in some vegetables that I've grown in the home garden and probably my greatest disappointment was the time that I put in a dozen eggs. There were only two entries at the Gundawindi show and I put in a dozen eggs and I didn't know you had to make things look nice. I just picked the best dozen eggs that I could find, put them in an egg carton and took them into the show. And when I, and I got second prize out of two. Um, but when I saw the other ones, first of all, I wasn't surprised because they'd gotten this beautiful basket and they'd got all these beautiful eggs and filled this basket up with these eggs. And I thought, yeah, they deserve to win the prize. But then I counted and they had 14 eggs in their basket. <gasps> oh, the injustice. Anyway, um, I put a sheepdog in once, didn't do real good there. I even tried my hand at cooking once or twice, no good there. Probably photography is the one where I've done the best. Uh, and of course, when I was a young fellow, we, we had the obligatory school entries for neatness and works of art, uh, which are rather loose terms when they're applied to my works of art and my neatness. And sometimes I'd do okay and I'd come away with a little ribbon or a little card. Uh, most often I wouldn't come first or second or third. Sometimes I'd get a little certificate that said, highly commended. Now, how do you take that? How are you meant to take that? I, I think that the way we're supposed to take that little highly commended certificate is, well, 
that was a really excellent entry and probably in a normal year you might have gotten you know gotten a place second or third maybe but this year the entries were just so extraordinarily good that you know you probably deserved a prize but you just we just couldn't give you one because the others were better now i think that's probably how i'm supposed to take it but more often i'd take the highly commended prize as well you're not good enough now, those other entries, they were the best, whereas my effort, it wasn't even wasn't second best, wasn't even third best. Yeah, it's a bit bit sad, really, to, to get a, a highly commended and then be left feeling, I'm not good enough. But you know what? To be commended by God, there's nothing better than that. You see, there is no first prize, there is no second prize, there is no third prize. We're either commended or we're not. Now, I'm going to be doing things a little bit back to front today. I'm going to be beginning today's message with the closing punchline, um, verses 17 and 18. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Isn't it wonderful, eh? To be approved by God. Isn't that something? To be commended by God. To be commended by the Lord God Almighty, to be commended by the creator of heaven and earth, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the judge of the universe and the saviour of our souls. And he says to us, yeah, you're all right. You know, sometimes we compare ourselves to other Christians. I don't know if you do. um, And you might believe that pastors are way beyond that sort of vanity, uh, we're not, or at least I'm not. And it's probably more obvious for me now than what it's ever been. Uh, because all of a sudden, every single church in the country has had to either stop doing services and stop preaching or go online. Now, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor of a church. But when I get to hear a really good preacher, when I get to hear a really good Bible teacher, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm instantly so thankful for them in their ministry. But, but then I start comparing myself to them. And I tell myself, well, they get the prize. They're, they're the ones who've got this really special gift. They've got this really amazing gift. And I can't do what they do. You know, some, some preachers, they just have the most incredible insight into the scriptures and, and they can share this and, and in such a way that helps us to all understand it. And, and some of them have a seemingly endless supply of really great stories and, and some of them can really make me laugh. And, and, and the whole time I'm learning about God and learning about his ways and I compare myself to those and I just, yeah, I just can't. I just can't do that. And it can leave me feeling really insignificant. And here we are today, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're setting up online worship and the online messages. Like we've done the online messages for quite a while, but, but here we are, we're now doing this online worship. And, and, and I've found myself asking the question, do we really need to do this? 
I mean, there, there was so much excellent quality stuff already available. And, and you know, we, we don't have a hope of trying to keep up with, with the kind of professional level production that some churches have. Like some churches have like a full-blown, you know, TV studio in their church. And they just have amazing resources and amazing technical people who can do this stuff. And here we are, I'm in my shed with a little video camera and a few micro and a microphone and a few bits of sound gear. And I sort of think we, we can't keep up with that. And I can't keep up with preachers who are internationally renowned. And so I compare myself and I compare our little church and I could feel totally inadequate. But the thing is, I'm wrong to do that. You know, you might, this might be resonating with some of you. You might try and compare yourself to super Christians. And you might feel terribly inadequate. Well, you're wrong to do that too. We're not supposed to try and compare ourselves to other servants of God. They are servants of God. I am a servant of God, you are a servant of God. And God has deployed each of us in the place where God wants us to be. And for all of us, for you as well as for me, you know, we're not supposed to compare ourselves to other Christians. And we're not supposed to rate ourselves on, on how good or bad we are or how effective we are or how ineffective we are or how gifted we are or how ungifted we are compared to those other people. You see, it is the Lord who calls us. It is the Lord who calls you. It's the Lord who calls me. It's the Lord who then equips us and it is the Lord who gifts us to minister in the area of influence that God has assigned to who, do you think? To us. And all we can hope for is that we are commended in the way that we fulfill this commission from God. There is no first, there is no second best, there is no third best. And it's not the one who commends himself who are the best, it's the one whom the Lord commends. And you know what? To get a commendation from the Lord doesn't get any better than that that's the top prize all right so some of you some of us might feel that compared to others we're not good enough or we're only second best or we just don't make the grade but it works the other way too some people and some churches and this is probably what Paul more about what Paul was getting at here some people in some churches are really good at promoting themselves above others. Oh, you, you know what? Oh, you should meet our pastor. He is amazing. By the way, I'm not quoting anyone from Bush Disciples now. Um, or you should come and try it at our church. Like your, your church, it's so, you know, it's not really a happening place. You know, you should come and try out our church. Like we've got... Yeah, we've got this amazing band and, and, and it's just got this real feeling of being alive and, 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 and we're, we're going to be going places. like It's just amazing. Our church is so good and we've got air conditioning. Come to our church. Now, you, you know what I'm talking about, aren't you? I'm talking about shameless self-promotion aimed at sheep stealing. Um, it's looking to grow 
an individual church, not looking to grow God's church, but looking to steal people away from God's church to make their own church bigger. And we need to remember that it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Righto, well, I'm not really, or at all, into social media. In fact, uh, we purposely don't have Facebook in our house at all, and I'm not on Twitter or Instagram or any of those other things that I've never heard of and, and some of you probably live by. But I remember when those sorts of things first started taking off, and, and I remember when businesses used to offer prizes and they'd say, like us on Facebook uh, to go into the draw for a prize. Uh, do they still do that sort of thing anymore? I don't even know. In fact, why am I asking the video camera? I still don't have my answer. I'm in an empty shed, just me. The dog's not even here anymore. I sent the dog away because it was making noise. So I don't know whether that's a thing or not, but the, the reason they did it is they would do anything to build their number of likes because I understand that the more likes that a business achieves, the more likely people are to, to go and try that business out, um, to, to buy their product or to, to go and, and eat something there if it's a food place or whatever. And I think that for some people, they see churches as the same. The more likes, the better the church. And many, many churches today, all you've got to do is go and have a look at their website and, and, and you'll see the banner up there, like us on Facebook. You know what? I reckon if Paul was writing this today, he'd have something to say about that. See, back when he did write it, he said, it's not the one who commends himself who is approved. I reckon if he was writing it today, he'd probably say something like, it's not the one who gets the most likes on Facebook who is approved. And you'd probably say it's not the one who gets the most views on YouTube who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Now, what led Paul to write such a thing? Well, I'm going to repeat what I said last week. Um, now, for our folk, they're probably sick of me saying it, but I'm going to have to say it again today because i um, this is explaining something about, unless we understand this, we're not going to understand what's going on in this second letter to the Corinthians. Okay, and so I've sort of kept explaining this over and over again. But because today is the first day that Bongina are really engaging in this, we've sort of skipped ahead a long way, I need to say it again. So... What, what's going on is, is Paul planted this church in Corinth, right? He, he was the one who took the gospel to Corinth. He's the one who preached the gospel, and he's the one who led these people to Christ. And he actually stayed longer in Corinth than he did in most places and he had time to get the church going and up and running. And so he had a major, major impact on those people. It was through his ministry that the church began. But when Paul then moved on to go and plant some more churches in other places, some false apostles from out of town came into Corinth and they staked their claim upon that church. And as part of, of, of their takeover coup, right, they, they had to discredit Paul because Paul saw them bringing this false teaching into the church and Paul is writing letters to try and correct uh, the, the Corinthians and what they believe. And so as part of their takeover coup, they then tried to discredit Paul. 
and the Apostle Paul to, to take his power away from him. And what's unfolding in this part of the letter is Paul is, is, is exposing the character and the modus operandi. That's a big Latin term. Uh, you probably know what it means because the same reason I do. I don't know Latin, but I do know what that means because I watch detect police shows and detective shows on the television and, you know, where the criminals have a modus operandi, a means of operation, a method of operation. And so what Paul is doing is, is he is exposing the character and the way that these false apostles operated. And so what they had done, and he's comparing the way they operate to the way that he and his fellow missionaries operate. So what the false apostles had done is they had moved in to take over what God had been building through the ministry of the apostle Paul. And, and they claimed it as, as their own success. They, they claimed this, this um, seemingly thriving church in Corinth. They claimed that as their own success story, which is what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 15, we do not boast beyond limit in the labours of others. Right? He's saying, that's what you lot are doing. All right. So the false apostles were very proud of the Corinthian church. It's our church. Look at these wonderful people. Look at the amazing spiritual gifts that are happening here. And this is all as a result of our leadership. But it was nothing of the sort. And they were really undermining Paul's authority as an apostle. Here's an example. We pick this one up in verse 10. It says, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. All right, so so virtually what they're saying is Paul seems always all seems very impressive and strong when he writes his letters, but in person he's inconsequential. Don't you worry about him. You you wait till he turns up and he just he'll just go to water. He's weak. And Paul defends himself. Look, you lot, unless you change your ways. You're going to see just how jolly tough I can be when I come in person. I don't want that to happen. I'd rather you correct your ways and turn back to God now. Otherwise, you'll see how strong I am when I come. Right? That's my paraphrase. But what Paul really draws out here is it's wrong to compare ourselves to others. He says in verse 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. And as far as Paul was concerned, those false apostles were trying to, to just scrape together some kind of evidence that, that God was at work there in Corinth so that they could boast about it, even though it had been done by others. And, and, and essentially, anything that good happens in a church is, is God's doing anyway. But they were trying to claim it as their own, as their own success story and say how wonderful they are. And Paul's calling them out on this. It's not them. It's not the leaders of the church who are to be praised. Anything good that happens in a church is God's doing. And he introduces the concept of serving in the area of influence that God has assigned. And this is what we're going to focus on today. 
the concept of serving in the area of influence that God has assigned. I wonder, have you, have you ever considered this? God has consigned to, to, sorry, God has assigned to each one of us an area of influence. Now, I'm not talking at all about social media influences. Um, I'm really showing my age here because I, I just find this bizarre. I've only heard about these in probably the last year. Um, but apparently some people are just famous for being famous. And so they, they build their social media profile and, and they get so many people following them so that they read everything that they post and they watch every video clip that they put up on YouTube or whatever. Um, and, and so many people are watching them so avidly that corporations are willing to pay these people to say something good about their product or just do something with their product. Um, online or, or just have it sitting in the background so somebody else goes, ooh, they use that, it must be really good, and, and, and they go and buy it. Now, I, I, don't, I don't get this because I'm old, obviously. Um, so that's social media influencers. They're famous for being famous and they use their influence to market stuff. I'm not talking about that. In fact, it's pretty much the opposite of that that I'm talking about. I'm talking about ordinary people like you and I. Well, you're probably extraordinary, but I'm ordinary. Or maybe you are ordinary, I don't know. But ordinary people like you, ordinary people like me, have been assigned an area of influence by God. Now, for me, uh, the gift that God has given me, I believe, is teaching. But God hasn't called me to teach as, to be a teacher in a Bible college. I'm, I'm not wired that way. I'm not smart enough. Um, my, my whole life, my, my whole working career has not been geared towards academia. You have to be very studious for that. I hate study. I, I always have. I hated school. Shh, don't tell anybody. Kids, kids, school's the best days of your life. Oh, okay. Um, but my whole life, my whole working career hasn't been geared towards academia. It's been geared towards agriculture. It's, it's been about operating farm machinery and growing crops and doing repairs and maintenance and fabricating stuff and animal husbandry and, and, and livestock production. That's, that's my, been my background. That's what I enjoy doing. That's what I love doing. And so is it any surprise that now God has me using this gift of teaching that he's given me, teaching the word of God, primarily to rural congregations. Now, I know that there's quite a few people who live in the city who tune into this each week, who download the podcast or watch the video, and we're really pleased to have you guys on board, and, um, and we pray that, that you too will learn something from this. But God has primarily called me to minister to the rural folk. Um, that is the area of influence that God has assigned to me. And, and God has been increasing this ministry. And, and yet I do not believe at all that God is wanting bush disciples to take over any other rural churches. Because God has called you to be the church where you are. 
that is the area of influence that God has assigned to you, right where you are. And if we here at Bush Disciples, if we can provide you with a few resources to help you to minister in the area of influence that God has assigned to you, well, that's part of our ministry. Part of our ministry is to help you do that. Um, and, And that's to help you to be a minister, to minister in the area of influence that God has given you. I believe... One of the greatest disservices um, to the gospel has been the professionalization of ministry. In many places now, the, the people of God have been deserting the local church. And they're doing it so that they can get that big church experience or the mega church experience. And as little congregations shrink, big congregations are booming. And professionals are employed there to do the evangelism and professionals are employed to do the pastoral care and, and professionals are employed to be, to be responsible for the development of disciples and it's the professionals who, who lead the youth ministry and the professionals who, who oversee the media and, and, and produce the music and, and do the administration and the management. And many people now just go to church to have church done to them. And very sadly, in their eyes, many folk feel that they have no contribution to make to ministry. Because in their eyes, that's what the experts do, and I'm not an expert. That's what the professionals do, and I'm not a professional. Um, As one fellow said to me, um, I'm good for nothing. You're just paid to be good. And, And I believe that's one of the great greatest disservices to the gospel. Because in Christ, we are all ministers. God has assigned to every believer an area of influence. We each have this circle of contacts and this circle of of relationships and acquaintances that we have. And God calls us to minister to them. But, But let's nail down this concept. Of, of ministering in an area of influence. Something I want to firmly guard against here is giving you the wrong message. Um, I've heard people preach on being a person of influence. And the message that I've heard, quite frankly, it wasn't godly teaching. It was just a motivational talk. Let me explain the difference here. A motivational talk is about improve yourself, become somebody really amazing, and then you will be a person of influence. And that really plays straight to your ego, doesn't it? Who doesn't want to be a person of influence? Oh, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, um, and the message is you can stand out from the crowd and then other people will want to be just like you and you'll be so effective for Jesus. Um, and from a worldly perspective, that might be enticing. From a worldly perspective, that might be true, but in God's economy, that's a whole load of hogwash. It was in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that he wrote, in chapter 1, verse 26, he said, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. What's Paul saying here? 
not many of you were very, very influential sorts of people. Verse 27, but, oh, I love that word. I love that word, but. You know, so often in, in, in the scriptures, we, we start reading something and say, oh, this sounds terrible. But then comes that beautiful word, but. Sometimes it says, but in Christ Jesus, right? In Christ, everything changes. And here he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? Why would God do that? Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. By the way, that's exactly what Paul says again in verse 17 of today's reading. It's just exactly a copy and paste. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord the Lord. All right. So in God's economy, it's not about becoming a person of influence. And if you ever hear that sort of preaching, I urge you, just, just reject it outright. That's, that's the world's way. That's not God's way. You see, we don't have to become a person of influence by improving ourselves. Because God has already put us, God has already put you and he's already put me in our area of influence. What does that mean? Well, that means it's not about me being great and it's not about you being great. It's about God being great. It's about God using the weak for his glory. It's about God using the lowly and the despised for his glory. And it's not about what I can do for God. And it's not about what you can do for God. It's about what God can do through me and what God can do through you in spite of ourselves. So, are you a young mum who goes to play groups? Well, obviously not now because we're not allowed to. Oh, they're terrible things. We better stop those play groups. But normally, you are? Well, guess where your ministry is? What's the area of influence that God has assigned to you? Where do you think God wants you to share Christ? Where do you think God wants you to share the love of God? With those other mums, of course. Right there at Playgroup. Are you a farmer? Do you hang, who do you hang out with? Uh, other farmers? Oh, really? Well, where do you think your area of influence might be? Who do you think is the person, the best person to share Christ with those other farmers? No, it's not the other Christian farmer you know. It's you. It's you. When another farmer reveals to you his pain or his heartache, be ready to respond. Be ready to to say to him, hey, I, I don't have the answers for that, but can I pray with you? And I think you'll be surprised how many people, even non-Christians, who will say, 
Yeah, that would be really good. We just need to be willing to do it. Or maybe you might be somebody who sees yourself as someone who, who's pretty much on the fringe of respectable society, right? So, so you, might, you might feel like you, I, you don't really fit into church. You might think, oh, those other people, they're sort of more, more middle class sorts of people. And, and, and you feel that you're on a different level of society and you don't really connect real well with those folk. And you wonder whether you should even be in that church at all. Well, guess where your area of influence is? It's on that different level of society that you recognise as being absent from your church. If those folk can't connect with the people on the level of society where, where you can, if they don't connect with, with, with the same people as you, guess who is the one that God has assigned to minister to them? You. Or you might be a roo shooter or a shearer or a fencer. Your area of influence, the place where you share the gospel of Christ and the place where you should be sharing the love of God, the place where you should be entering into the lives of people and, and saying to them, hey, can I pray with you about this, is right there at the roo box. It's right there at the shearing shed. It's right there in the shearer's quarters and it's right there on the fence line. If you're a school teacher... Your area of influence is right there in the classroom or in the playground and in the staff room. Do you hear what I'm saying? Where you are in, in your work situation, in, in your social circle, where you fit is your area of influence. I get really frustrated sometimes uh, when the attitude gets taken that Oh, I have to go on a mission trip so that I can be involved in, in the mission of the church. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, God does call some people into overseas mission, but he doesn't call all of us to that. I believe that, that often when people go on a mission trip, they're, they're actually aspiring to somebody else's area of influence while they neglect their own area of influence. Now, mission trips can be a good thing, but don't go neglecting your own area of influence that God has already given you. We need to minister where God has put us. We need to minister in our own area of influence. So, that brings us to today. At this point, in world history, we have suddenly come to a point of incredible change in the Christian church. If I had said to you two months ago that the government is going to forbid us in our country from meeting together to worship God, what would you have said? He's crazy. With the unfolding pandemic of COVID-19 and the strict social isolation measures that we're now living with, some of you won't understand this. Some of you will understand it very well. Uh, but to, regardless of how you are personally taking this, um, I think we all have to agree that there are some, some really hurting people out there 
And some folk are really scared and anxiety is rampant. For the very old and, and for those who have chronic heart and lung conditions, the death rate is quite high for those who are infected. And some people are really afraid of this. Um, and in a culture where, where health and long life is almost taken for granted, for some people, for the first time in their lives, they've been forced to consider their own mortality. And it scares them. By the way, um, it really lets you know where you are with God as to just how scared you are. Um, because what is most important, this life or being with Christ? But also there are people who are really lonely. Uh, for some people, they get to carry on their job and, and not much has really changed. And I, I'm aware that today I'm talking to a lot of people who live on farms. And for you, things probably aren't too bad. You can still go out onto your 10,000-acre farm. or Oh, that's a big farm if you're in Bonjean. A um, couple of thousand acres, let's say. Uh, and you can still get out and do stuff and, and, and you know, enjoy production and, and all that sort of stuff. But for many people... By the letter of the law, they do not have a valid reason to leave their home. And they're lonely. And so in Australia today, some people are scared. Some people are lonely. Some people are asking, where is God in this? Some people are dying alone. Some people are grieving because they can't be beside their loved one as they die. And some people are really sad because they're not, they're not quite good enough family, good enough friends or close enough family to be able to get to the funeral because only 10 people are allowed at the funeral. And some people are just sad because it seems like the state has banned all fun and just about all bit of social and family interaction that we can have except for those in your own home. And I won't be surprised if, if our state loses more people through suicide and domestic violence and alcoholism than what we lose through the infection itself. Some people are really sad. Friends, the mission field at this time is enormous. But the church doors are closed. We've had to take up new ways of preaching the gospel. How can we be Christ's church at this time of need? Well, what we're doing here today is, is, is a bit of a start. We're, we're connecting together with, with online worship, and that's a start. Uh, by the way, um, during the week, I, was, I read in Revelation chapter 14, um, and, and, and in all of the mayhem and chaos that's going to unfold at the end of time, uh, there in Revelation chapter 14, it gives a picture of an angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. 
And we could, we could use this, see this as a bit of a metaphor for what's happening right now. Just as that angel had the gospel there up in the air, we've taken the gospel to the airwaves. And what is the eternal gospel that is going to be preached on that day? Well, the angel said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. The gospel message at the time of disaster, the gospel message that is going to be proclaimed at the end of time, just before the day of judgment comes, is exactly the same gospel message that has been preached throughout the centuries and millennia. And it's exactly the same gospel message that we are to be preaching today. Fear God and give God glory and worship him. But where do we fit into that? Where do you fit into that? Where is your area of influence that God has assigned you to minister in? And you might say, but Michael, I've just been shut off from all of my friends. I've just been shut off from all of my colleagues. My area of influence has just gone... You got one of these? How about you get on the phone? How about you give a call to somebody you know who doesn't, you know that they don't have many friends? How about instead of watching the telly in the afternoon or at night, you ring somebody who you know is going to be lonely? Or how about, now this is risking things, might be risking breaking the law, but I think there's ways around it. How about you take a meal to someone who's sick? Maintain all social distancing, of course, and leave it on the doorstep so that they can collect it. Or how about you just ring and talk to somebody who you know is self-isolating? I think the challenge for us today is, is to be more connected now than ever before. The area of influence that God has assigned to you is limited only by your contact list. And even then you can add your contact list. Once you've gone through all of your contacts that that you know and spoken to them all, start again, only this time. Say to them, hey, is there anyone you know that's really doing it tough that you think will appreciate a call? And I think you'll be surprised at how many people will say, yeah, I know so-and-so is really doing it tough. How about you give them a call? Let's be intentional about this. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be professional. All you have to do is ring and say to that person, how are you going? And be intentional about this to, to catch up with perhaps people that you wouldn't normally ring. Might be people that you haven't rung for years. And be intentional about going deeper. Ask how they're going. And when they say, oh, yeah, I'm all right. That, that's not a good enough answer. So, no, how, how are you really going? Let's get past these niceties. Let's get past the just talking about the weather. And then offer to pray for them and to pray with them right there on the phone. I think you will be surprised how many people um, 
will really engage in that. Uh, during the week, this very week, three different people that I spoke to on the, on the phone all offered to pray for me. And I was really touched. It's wonderful. And don't be afraid to pray for an unbeliever. And let's be witnesses for Jesus. And let's not, let's not be afraid of that eternal gospel. Fear God and give him glory. That's the best we can do right now. That's the best we can do at any time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, at such a time as this, it is right to both fear you and to give you glory. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are the God who gives life and the one who takes it away again. You are the God who judges and the God who saves. All glory to you. Lord, what, what, what a humbling thing it is to be assigned an area of influence for us to minister in. Lord, we know that we're not capable of this in our, on our own. We can't do it, but you can. Holy Spirit, be with us as we phone up people and as we visit those who are in need. Be in our conversation. Give us a boldness and a confidence to take a conversation deeper and to pray with those who are in need. And Lord, for some, this is a time of great fear and anxiety. For others, not so much. But Lord, we pray that you would give us empathy to be, be able to engage with all of them. Lord, we pray that, that this would be a time when, when we, your church, would stand up and minister in the area of influence that you have assigned to us. And Lord, may you do your glorious saving work. In Jesus' name, amen.